0: Yeah. There you go. Way. Fixed it the wrong way. Click it the right way. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, just to update you on some stuff I'm doing at the moment, uh, particularly outside of the ch- local church. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't here because I was up in kneeling. Uh, I was at a church led by my friend Pete Cornford, who started the church kneeling maybe five years ago this coming January. Uh, done really well. God's bless them. There were probably about 250 people there that morning, and we were appointing three elders, which was really exciting. Uh, God gives elders to, to lead local churches and a big step for a church to recognize elders for the first time. So it's great to be part of that. Uh, this Wednesday, Richard and I are heading off to Belfast, popping over there for the day to meet with somebody who's planting a church out there and wanting to explore partnership with our advanced family of churches. So I'd appreciate your, your prayers for that. And then in a couple of weeks' time, Ian and I are going up to Glasgow to uh, scout out Glasgow for the day. And uh, walk around and pray and think about the church plan that Ian and Lindsay are going to be starting next September. So uh, I know you've had a, a bit of Ian in the last couple of weeks as he's been preaching here. I hope that's been good. Um, I'd encourage you to keep thinking about that and praying for that as we plan over these next few months to send Ian and Lindsay off next, uh, next summer to go and start a new congregation in Glasgow. Right, we, this morning, our, our theme this morning is Living with Purpose. We're doing a, a seven-week uh, series from the books of Colossians and Philemon, uh, five coordinates for navigating life. And t- Today's coordinate is to live with purpose. Actually, next week we've got Adrian uh, Holloway with us coming to, to speak. Uh, Adrian is a, is a good friend and a, a gifted speaker. Um, our young people certainly know him because he always speaks at, at New Day every, every summer. So it's going to be great to have Adrian with us, and actually he, he said to me that he, he'd like to preach from Colossians as well, so it's going to end up being an eight-part series in Colossians rather than a seven-part series, but that, that's, that's, that's good as well. So this morning's theme is living with purpose, and uh, it's an important subject to, for us to think about because increasingly it can seem unclear as to how we are meant to live, how we're meant to behave. So many of the old certainties about how society operates have, have gone and so there are all kinds of questions about how you're meant to conduct yourself. We've seen that very much in terms of some of the scandals and the stories coming out of Westminster over the last few weeks. How are men and women, how are people in positions of power meant to conduct themselves? How should they behave? But in your work situation you probably have some of these issues. How are we meant to what does it mean to how are we meant to behave in this situation even in family life? How are we meant to behave together? It can all seem rather unclear and we Kind of grasp for modern contemporary buzzwords like tolerance and equality and respect, but those things can seem very vague and quite subjective. What do they really mean? And what they mean to one person, one person's equality is somebody else's. Inequality and one person's tolerance is somebody else's intolerance, and one person's respect is someone else's lack of respect. And they—they're they're kind of words they use the whole time, but they don't necessarily mean very much. They're kind of things that human resources departments pour out, and you can be left thinking, "Yeah, that's all well and good, but what does it actually mean in terms of how we're meant to behave together?" And in contrast to to that, one of the appeals of religion is that religion offers, or can seem to offer, much more clarity because religion tends to have systems of how to behave. Do this, don't do that. And there's a great clarity about that which can be appealing to people. I think it's one of the strange phenomenons of our time that you have, maybe not vast numbers, but certainly significant numbers of young British people, people born and raised in the UK, converting to Islam. Now that seems a bizarre thing. Why would anybody born in the secular West, why would they convert to Islam? I think perhaps some of the reason is the sense of moral clarity which is offered by Islam. Do this, don't do that. A sense of purpose. And of course we see that kind of horrifically distorted and abused in those who convert to a particular form of radical Islam which leads then to violence and terrorism, there's a sense of purpose about it and for some people in a, in a culture which seems to be so purposeless and it's just vague, it's tolerance, equality, respect, what do those things mean? The kind of certainties that are offered by something, even something as actually horrific as radical Islam can have an appeal to people, it offers clarity and we want clarity. And for some people, actually, the appeal of Christianity can be along those kind of lines, that Christianity offers a, a set of morals. It's why I often talk to people who aren't followers of Jesus, but they'll say about their kids, I want my kids to go to a church school because of the morals there, which actually is a kind of strange thing to say in a culture like ours. Morals still kind of count, are still thought important. I want my kids to go to a church school. I don't actually have any belief, particular belief in Jesus myself, but I want my kids to go to a church school so they'll get good morals kind of strange, but people are looking for clarity. But the trouble is that if you reduce Christianity just to that, just to another moral or religious system, well, actually it's no better or worse than any other moral or religious system. You might as well send your kids to an Islamic school or a Hindu school or a Buddhist school because there will be morals taught there as well. It's It's just another kind of moral religious system. But of course, Christianity properly understood is not just another moral system. And one of the things that we emphasize again and again here at Gateway is that morality is not enough. That just doing good things is not enough. That's not enough to save you. That's not enough to stand right before God. You doing good things is not enough it's never going to be enough. We need something which is, is better than that. The trouble with moralism is that it either leaves you condemned or proud. If how you try and organize your life is by behaving a certain way, you either end up condemned because you don't match the standards which you feel you ought to be reaching, or you end up proud because you think, I've ticked that off the list today, haven't I done well? It all becomes about me. It all becomes about you personally. And that you can't save yourself. You can have a moral framework to life which might have more or less validity, but it doesn't actually get you right with God. And so the Christian gospel and the message we constantly repeat here again and again is that is not enough. What you need is something outside. You need something, someone outside yourself. What you need is Jesus, someone who gives you his righteousness. And if we ever slip into just moralism, well, that's, that's death. That's spiritual death its religious death it's it's in itself it has no real value and the passage today we're going to be looking at in colossians 3 illustrates this pastor paul is writing to his friends in colossae and he wants them to live well he wants them to live purposefully and it's a passage about how to live so in that sense it's a passage about morals it's about how to behave but Paul doesn't begin there. What he begins with is Jesus Christ and what he has done. And how what Christ has done then shapes everything that we do. Shapes how we behave. Shapes how we live. Enables us to live with purpose. So let's turn to Colossians. We're on page 1184. Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read most of this portion of Scripture, most of this chapter. And it's mighty. Listen to the word of God as I read it and allow just the words as they're spoken to sink into your soul and do you good. Colossians 3 verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. This is dynamite. This is amazing stuff. What an incredible passage of scripture, Colossians chapter 3, is. First thing I want us to think about is our everlasting purpose, which comes because of our union with Christ Jesus first word of verse 3 is since. The uh, Greek word there can also be translated if. Some translations of the Bible, it's translated if, then you have been raised with Christ. It could be translated either way, since or if. The point is that uh, there are two kinds of people. There are those who are raised with Christ and those who are not and all other distinctions fall away that's why in verse 11 paul says there's no gentile or jew no circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian scythian so slave or free all those other kind of distinctions between different kinds of people fall away When you come to Christ, there are two categories of people. There are those who have been raised with Christ and those who haven't been raised with Christ. But if you've been raised with Christ, it becomes a since you have been raised with Christ because you have been raised with Christ. And you say, since I was raised with Christ, I am united with Christ. That's my status. Everything that is Christ is now mine. Richard joked about uh, those coming into membership, that all that was uh, ours is theirs and all that was theirs is his. Actually, as a Christian, what you can say is all that is Christ's is mine. And that's far more amazing and far more wonderful than what you or I might have in our fridges at home. Everything that Christ has is mine since I have been raised with Christ. And our fundamental Christian belief is that Christ has been raised. Christ died and Christ rose again. Hallelujah. And we might read this passage and look at ourselves this morning and think, well, Christ has been raised, but actually, what does that mean for me? Because I haven't yet died, which means I haven't yet been raised to new life. So what does it mean for Paul to say, since we have been raised with Christ? The, the point that Paul is making is that he is so certain that those who are in Christ, united to Christ, will be raised, that he declares it as something which is or as if it's already happened. If you're in Christ it's absolutely certain you'll be raised to new life in Christ. And so you can say, I have been raised, because it's inevitable, it has to happen. It's like a 20-year-old who has been guaranteed an inheritance when he turns 21 from some millionaire aunt. And if you are that 20-year-old who knows that the day you turn 21 that... Aunt Rosie's millions are going to enter your bank account. You would live differently from other 20-year-olds. You would live in anticipation, expectation of all that was coming. You wouldn't be like the other 20-year-olds, maybe at university, struggling along with student loan, wondering how to pay your bills. You'd be living as if what is certainly going to happen on that day has already happened. It changes the whole way that you live. And for us who are in Christ, we have a greater and a surer. Promise and inheritance that all that is Christ's is ours. We have been raised with Christ. We will be raised with Christ. We died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ and we will share in Christ's glory. That's what Paul says here. Union with Christ, united with Him. Martin Luther said about this, we looked at, quoted this when we were doing our series on the Reformation a few weeks back faith must be taught correctly namely that by it you are so cemented to Christ that he and you are as one person which cannot be separated but remains attached to him forever and declares, I am as Christ. If you've come in faith to Jesus, you are cemented, glued to Christ's. All that he has is yours. He died. He's been raised to everlasting life. You have died in him. You've been raised to new life in him. You will share in his glory when he appears again. And so the question is not how alive do I feel, it's how alive is Christ Jesus? And he is fully alive. He's raised and we're raised to new life in him. And so when we talk about how Christians are to behave, we're not talking about mere moralism. Christianity isn't just moralism. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about behave this way to try and live right. No, it's about being united with Christ, receiving all that he has. And then that, of course, transforms the kind of people that we are and the ways that we think and the ways that we live. Look, he says here, verse 3, that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. It's like we're kept safe. It's like we're held in heaven's vault. It gives us Great certainty in an uncertain world to, to know that we are hidden in Christ, in God. He's got us safe. He's holding on to us. He's got us firm. This, can, this gives us a sense of purpose in life. It makes us purposeful to know that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. In this uh, little book we gave out at the beginning of the series to you have for your own personal study to read along with it on Colossians. Uh, Terran, who wrote the book, quotes from Madonna who says this in an interview in Vanity Fair once, I've always sought to conquer this horrible feeling of inadequacy, of being mediocre and uninteresting. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special person, then it comes back again. It's always pushing me, pushing me, even though I'm now somebody. I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. Poor old Madonna. You think about Madonna, she's one of those few people in the world who is known universally by one name. If I say to you Madonna, you don't need me to explain who I'm talking about. We all know who Madonna is. For decades now, she has been a world figure with unbelievable wealth and incredible influence, and yet she still feels like she's not really somebody. And if she ever gets to the point of feeling like she's somebody, she soon toppers over the edge and it has to be pushed again to try and get to that place of not feeling inadequate because inadequacy is how she normally feels. If Madonna feels like that, well, what about everybody else who never achieves anything in terms of fame and fortune and influence as she has? The reality is that in ourselves, Madonna, you, me, we are all inadequate. We are. We're all inadequate. But in Christ, everything changes. In Christ, we're given everlasting purpose. We come in faith to Jesus. We're cemented to him united with him we die with him we raised him we're going to share in glory with him that gives us a sense of purpose of adequacy because it's no longer about my adequacy or your adequacy or madonna's adequacy it's about the adequacy of christ and he is more than adequate and we come to him we unite with him and we find his purpose in our lives it means that we have purpose for life. We have purpose for eternity and eternal purpose because we're united with Christ. This is the appeal of faith. If you don't know Jesus this morning, we're not inviting you into a moral system. Not inviting you to uh, adjust your moral principles to live slightly better. What you're being invited into is a relationship with Jesus yeah. who died and now lives and is coming again. And with whom you can know eternal relationship to whom you can be glued, and in whom you can find purpose eternally. That's the first thing. Second thing is everyday purpose. Eternal purpose comes because of our union with Christ. Everyday purpose become, comes because of our communion with Christ. Union is our objective fact. We're united with Christ, we come to Him in faith. Communion is our experienced reality. And Paul says here that we're to set our hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. This means that we, when we come to Christ, that we're to live with a determination. A determination to live in the reality of what is ours. That we have a purposeful focus on Christ Jesus. And that could be difficult to do because there are so many distractions in life and we are so easily distracted. And so to focus purposefully on Jesus can seem hard. To set your minds and things above, set your hearts and things above. Well, my mind and my heart so often seem to wander, to get distracted. Not even this week as I was preparing for this message, as I'm preparing to speak about set your hearts and your minds and things above, be focused on Christ Jesus. Again and again, I'm finding my mind distracted by something else. We, we as human beings, we're so easily distracted. Our minds fit all over the place. It's difficult. So we need to think about why we might want to be focused on Christ. No communion with him. And we need to think about how we might experience communion with Christ. So the first thing is to think about why we want to experience communion with Christ. One reason is that we should want to live with integrity, to genuinely live with a sense of purpose in our lives. That if we profess faith in Jesus, then our our hearts and our minds and our actions really ought to line up with the profession of faith that we make. If we we say Jesus is Lord, then how we live should align with that in the way that a compass aligns with the poles. It should just kind of go (laughs) Point, we should be focused on Jesus because that's our profession of faith. Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. I so confess and believe Jesus. Locked on you. There should be that kind of integrity about us, that kind of purposefulness about us. And if we don't live like that, there's always going to be an inner conflict. If we Profess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord. Come on a Sunday and sing all the songs we sing about Jesus is Lord, but then our lives don't line up with that, our thoughts and our actions don't line up with that. There's always going to be inner conflict. It's not a comfortable place to live. If the compass needle is kind of spinning around. I mean fundamentally we it's not comfortable to live as a hypocrite. And if we profess one thing but live another way, that's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy isn't good for us. So a reason to to live in communion with Christ Jesus is is because that's the way to live with integrity. That is the way to live with with purpose. Another reason is that to be in communion with Christ actually grounds us much more robustly in the things of earth. Now this is a bit kind of counterintuitive because Paul says, set your hearts on things above set your minds on things above and we might think that means that we always happen to think heavenly thoughts about heavenly places and we're kind of taken out of the experience of of life on earth it can almost begin to sound a bit more like kind of buddhist meditation that you're trying to escape an experience of what earth is like now in order to have this kind of heavenly communion But that's not at all what Paul is saying and it's obvious that's not what he's saying because he immediately goes from saying set your hearts on what's above, set your minds on what's above to then giving very practical instructions about how we're to live on earth. So the point actually is that as we set our hearts and our minds on things above, that shapes how we live now, it actually grounds you. That as you think about Jesus, as your life aligns to him, it doesn't take you out of this world, it actually grounds you in this world so you can live in this world with more purpose, with more integrity, with more joy. That's how it works. Christianity isn't a faith which wants to rip you away from the earth. Christianity is a faith which puts you firmly on the earth to live like Christ on the earth and witness to him on the earth. That's how it works. And I want to be grounded robustly in the things of the earth, not kind of in some strange spiritual uh, subculture. And then another reason why we want to know communion with Christ is because... There is an inheritance which is coming our way. And our hearts and our minds should be set on that inheritance. So I, I want my life now to conform as much as possible to how my life will be when Christ comes again. Those of us who have come in faith to Jesus who want to live that way, to live now as much as possible as in a way which lines up with how we're going to live when Christ returns and makes all things new, because as we do that, that demonstrates the truth of what it is we believe. That we live now. We live on earth as citizens of heaven. In Colossae, where Paul wrote this letter, the, the, the trouble in the church, the reason why Paul writes the letter is because some of in that town as saying, yeah, Jesus is good, and you need Jesus, but you need Jesus plus. You need Jesus plus something else. And if you're going to be really right as a person, if you're going to be right before God, you need Jesus and this thing as well. And Paul says, no, 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 all you need is Jesus. And communion with Christ is about knowing Christ alone, that Jesus is enough for me, Jesus is enough for you. We don't need anything else in addition to Christ. We don't need to have Jesus plus something else added in to be really right before God. No, it's all about Jesus. He is coming again. He has an inheritance for us. We will share in his glory. And so I want to be in communion with Christ now because that lines up with how I'm going to live eternally. And I want my life to reflect that now. So I want to live in communion with Christ. But how do we do that? How do we live in communion with Christ. First thing is that we need to kill what has to be killed. Look what Paul says in verse 5. Put to death, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Kill what needs to be killed. When we come in faith to Jesus Christ, we're transformed. We're promised, guaranteed, an inheritance. We've died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ, we're going to share in his glory. But we're not freed from all the temptations of the earth. It's not like suddenly earthly things no longer have any lure for us, any temptation for us, any pull upon us. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. That's different from there being no temptation. We don't pray, Jesus, may I never be tempted. That's not what the prayer is. The prayer is, Lord, lead me not into temptation temptation is going to come i pray lord that you'd help me to resist and avoid the temptation it's too easy to live the way that we used to live it's too easy to live the way the world would conform us to live and we need to kill things which would keep us from living in a way which reflects jesus we need to kill things which would keep us from communion from that experienced reality of knowing christ work in our lives we we need to be ruthless with them and so Paul says put these things to death now Paul is writing to the church in Colossae a a church in the Roman Empire The, the Colossians would have known what putting things to death meant it was a much more brutal much more bloody society than ours we we don't really ever see things being killed in our society, the, the guys that Paul's writing to here in Colossae, they they would have seen people and animals being killed as part of the normal routine of life. They knew what it was to put things to death. They knew how messy and how bloody it was. Once, as a as a teenager on a farm in Swaziland, I saw a man kill a cow with a knife. It was a brutal and a bloody spectacle. And the Colossians would have known what blood looked like. They would have known what killing things involves. Killing is brutal. It's bloody. It's messy. And Paul says, kill these things, put them to death. Be ruthless about these things. These things will keep you from communion with Christ. They'll, they'll keep you from knowing the sweet intimacy with him that you're meant to experience. And what the world says is, feed these things, feed these things. These, these things of the earthly nature, sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed... The world says, feed them, feed them, feed them. And the gospel says, kill them, kill them, kill them. And in Christ, we have a choice. In Christ, you're not powerless. In Christ, you have the power to kill these things. These temptations that would come and would interrupt your intimacy, your communion with Christ. In Christ, you have the power to get the sword out and to kill them. You do. Sometimes Christians still get locked in kind of repeating patterns, spirals of of sinful behavior, things which keep them from communion with Christ, and say, why am I still doing this? Why am I still trapped in it? The reason is because you're not killing it. You're not being ruthless. And the reality is that some sins are like the hydra. You chop off the head, and ten more heads spring up. And when that happens, you can kind of go, oh, whoa, I'll just give in. I'll just go with the... This thing which consumes me. No, what you do if you're you're communing with Christ, if you're serious about this, if you're ruthless, you just keep on swinging. You keep on swinging, you keep on swinging, you keep on killing it, you keep on killing it, you keep on killing it until that thing's dead. Those raised in Christ are purposeful about this. And you know this fight, this put these things to death never stops. I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. I've been in full-time Christian ministry for over 20 years. I think I've got some well worked through spiritual disciplines and a bit of a track record now. But you know, there are still temptations which come every day. Temptations which the world would say, feed it, feed it, feed it. And the gospel says, kill it, kill it, kill it. And every day I have a choice to make. Am I going to feed it or am I going to kill it? And you get to middle age and it can feel much easier just to feed it, feed it, feed it. And the gospel says, kill it, kill it, kill it. You have to be ruthless. Kill it. Be ruthless. You want to be in communion with Jesus, it's worth being ruthless with earthly things that would keep you from him. Next thing we need to do is put on the new self. If you've come in faith to Christ, you are new. But there's a sense in which we have to actively choose to recognize this. Look what he says, verse 10. He says, uh, you have put on the new self. It's happened. You're clothed in Christ. You've come in faith to Him. You've, been, you've died with Him. You've been raised with Him. You're going to share in His glory. You have been clothed in Christ. But then in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. So you have been clothed, but you need to clothe yourself as well. There's a recognizing what has happened to you and a deliberately choosing to recognize that and embrace it and receive it and remind yourself of who you are again and again. It's like if you move house. You might, have moved, you might have walked past a particular house many times and you had no rights of access, but once you've got the keys to that house, you can come and go as you like. And the thing is that every time you put your hand in your pocket and you put your hand on that key, it's a reminder to you of what you possess, You might be on the other side of the world on holiday or business, but you put your hand in your pocket and you find your house key and you're reminded, that house belongs to me. I have complete rights of access to it. I can come and go as I wish. And we Christians have been clothed in Christ. It's ours, but there's also a sense in which we need to keep clothing ourselves, to keep reminding ourselves of who we are and what we have, to be purposeful about it. Now, how can we do that? Well, it might be it might be literally as practical as when you are getting dressed in the morning. That you remind yourself what you're really clothed in. As you put on your socks and put on your shirt, you might say, I am clothed in Christ. That you work that out as a kind of a spiritual discipline. That so it's a thing you do early in the when you get dressed in the morning. You, you remind yourself who you really are. I'm clothed in Christ. I'm clothed in Christ. It's helpful to build rhythms into your day and into your week that keep reminding you that you're clothed in Christ. We all have rhythms in our life anyway of times when we eat and times when we work and times when we sleep and you can make spiritual disciplines of those things. You can make it a spiritual discipline that when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you actively try and think about is that you are clothed in Christ, that you're united with him and are called into communion with him. Wake up deliberately choosing to clothe yourself in that way. You can do it as you're eating your breakfast. You pour your cornflakes into a bowl and remind yourself, today I am clothed in Christ. I'm going to know communion with Christ because I am in everlasting union with Christ. Find ways to build these things as a rhythm into life, to keep reminding yourself, to keep clothing. You are clothed, so keep clothing yourself in these things. We've got this rhythm in church life, of course. Sunday mornings are part of that rhythm. We come together and remind ourselves who we are. We're coming together this morning. We're kind of clothing ourselves again. This is who we are. This is who we are. We're the people who belong to Jesus. We're united with him and we're called to commune with him eternally and every day. We have our first Friday prayer. It's a rhythm we're establishing now. It's a time for us to remind ourselves who we are. We're not like everybody else. We're different because we're clothed in Christ. Let's be purposeful about being clothed in Christ. And let's purposefully choose good clothes. Look at the the contrasting words that Paul uses here. There's a bunch of things he says don't do, and there's a bunch of things he says you should do. There's a bunch of things you need to rid yourselves of, and there's a bunch of things you need to clothe yourselves in. There's some things which you need to be rid of. They're just rubbish. And if you have them on, they're going to contaminate you. So you need to get them off and throw them away. And there's other things you need to actively choose to put on. Rather than being clothed in anger, you choose compassion. Rather than rage, you clothe yourself in kindness. Rather than malice, you clothe yourself in humility. You rid yourself of slander and choose gentleness. You get rid of filthy language and you practice patience. You rid yourself of the bad stuff and you clothe yourself in the good things because the clothes you wear shape the way that you live. If you're clothed in anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language, well, you're going to live that way and it's not pretty. If you clothe yourself in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, you'll look like Christ. You'll witness to Christ. You'll know communion with Christ. The clothes you wear shape how you live. So put on the right clothes. C.S. Lewis said, putting on Christ is not one among many jobs a Christian has to do. And it is not a sort of special exercise for the top class. It is the whole of Christianity. Clothe yourself in Christ. And the last thing we can do in order to know communion with Christ is to choose peace peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Christ brings us into peace, but we don't always experience peace. It might actually be particularly at this time of year. This time of year is a time when often peace can be disrupted. It can seem a very busy time of year for many of us. There's loads going on. And it's the kind of time of year when people tend to get bugs, get a bit run down. So at this time of year, there's a lot of people who are busy and tired and a bit ill bit stressed, bit grumpy, and you don't feel peace. You just feel annoyed. And what scripture would say to us is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Again, it's about being purposeful, living with purpose. You need to lay hold of it. You need to choose it. You need to decide it. And the way into peace is through thanks. We let the peace of Christ draw in our hearts as we give thanks to Jesus thankfulness is the right posture to have before God we're called into everlasting union with Christ we're called into everyday communion with Christ we find peace in Christ as we give thanks to Christ and we're to help one another in this, it's such a Fascinating thing which Paul says they're to do and which we're to do. We sing to one another. This This is wisdom. With wisdom, sing. Psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Psalms, that wonderful book of the Bible which shows us how to worship, how to engage with God, whatever our emotional state might be. Hymns, songs which people write. Songs from the Spirit, spontaneous words that bubble out of our mouths as God gives us utterance. Now when we come together, and we, we do as we've done for a while this morning, we'll come back to it in a second and we sing, we're, we're not just singing only to God. We're, not, we're certainly not just going through the motions. We're also instructing one another because we're singing truth. We're helping one another to express thanks, which helps bring us into peace. That together, as a congregation, as a community, we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, that we're purposeful about this. We're deliberate about it. We're intentional about it. That we cultivate rhythms of praise in our lives. That throughout the day we're thanking God. Throughout the day we're deliberately laying hold of the peace that is ours by birthright. We, when we come to Jesus, are united with him. We are to experience communion with him. We are to live with purpose because of him eternally and every day amen Amen. let's come and give him thanks let's let the peace of God rule in our hearts again and uh, let's encourage one another with all wisdom as we do that gentlemen the band please come back why don't we stand together and I'll pray as the band come back to help us Thank you, Jesus, that those of us who come in faith to you have been raised with you. And I pray that we would set our hearts and our minds on things that are above. We'd focus on you, that the compass point would get aligned. That we would live, Jesus, with integrity, with purpose in a way which does demonstrate the truth of what we believe. Free us from hypocrisy, Lord, and keep us from ever slipping into mere moralism dead works so pray jesus we want to know what it is to be in communion with you to live in relationship with you and jesus as we do that we know that our behavior has to be different it changes how we think how we act how we speak how we treat others thank you lord that's not just a moral code it's about being clothed in christ it's about knowing you because you know us lord what a wonderful thing what an amazing gift How extraordinary that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not because of what we do, but because of what you've done. Lord, I pray that you'd help us and we'd help one another to live as we're called to live, to live as we are. Those who are known by Christ and who know you, enjoying communion with you every day and eternally. So I pray, Lord, that now as we come again to worship you, that you would minister to our hearts pray for those here who are feeling troubled rather than peaceful that peace would come I pray Lord that we would be those who even as we worship now we would deliberately purposefully be clothing ourselves again in the things of Christ ask these things in your name Jesus amen